don't know that I have time to look at it, but come gracious spirit, heavenly love, dove has a tremendous message. That was sung at our wedding and also more nation. For some reason, it's just very special. And then more love to thee. You realize what she's saying. Let sorrow do its work. Send grief and pain. The cry there in that song is to have more love for Christ. And if you look at the message there, it's the confidence that he knows best how to get that. So with that, we trust him. We don't know the future, but we know that he does. And that's what's important. I'd like to say a special thank you to you all for your hospitality, your love, your prayers before I came, your prayers while I was here, and I trust after I leave. Thank you for the offering. I was thinking when they announced that that, you know, I'd be glad just to do it without an offering. Uh, I feel called to preach. And to me, that's not a big issue, but I am thankful for it. Also thankful for a wife that's back home praying. Um, many times she has to gather up the loose ends when I hurry out the door. And it was that way this time. We had a pretty harried week last week, and Monday morning it was pretty much of a rush. And... I left a half an hour late and she was blaming herself for it. I told her it's not her fault. Um, but I appreciate it. I appreciate a congregation back home that's praying. Got a little bit of a glimpse of you folks here. Gotten to know you a little bit more. And uh, Elisa gave me a paper with your names and addresses on. And I want you to know I'll be praying for you. Um, does something whenever you pray for someone. And I would encourage you, especially leaders, but everyone, don't use those papers just for to get somebody's phone number or somebody's address. Use them as a prayer sheet. So you remember to pray for your people. I found that a real blessing. I've entitled the message tonight, Three Gardens. The story of God working with His people, with mankind, I believe can be condensed into three gardens. In each case, God and man meet together. And in each case, God provides. God provides in a mighty way. And in each case, man chooses. God provides and man chooses. Somebody mentioned, is it because it's springtime that I'm talking about a garden? Well, not necessarily, but it is a good time to preach this message. Because a garden, if you can get in the garden, you know it's springtime, right? And I've seen a number of gardens got tilled this week. Mine's still waiting. Hopefully it'll be dry enough that I can get into it this week. But a garden is a piece, that dictionary says the garden is a piece of land, a ground, usually close to a house for growing vegetables, fruits, flowers, ornamental shrubs, and trees. 
It is a well-cultivated region. It is a place of activity. It is a place of faith. There's a lot of seeds get put in. There's a lot of fertilizer gets put on. And everyone probably does it in a different way. My wife and I realized that after we're married, I come from Big Valley. It's not a very big valley, but that's what it's known by. And their gardens are very important. I think I alluded to that one evening. And I grew up where you had raised beds and and you, after you tilled it, you did not walk on it unless you had boards to put across. And you were very careful how it looked. Where my wife come from, they planted vegetables. And it didn't matter if you ran out of seeds and then started another, seed, another type of plant in the same row. Where I come from, you had short rows and you made sure that each, even if you had seeds left over, you, everything looked right. But as we put seeds in the ground, there's hope. There's hope. Sometimes it's going to bring a lot. Sometimes it's not. The last time we planted potatoes before we went to Guatemala, we planted a bushel of potatoes. Now, it wasn't a very good piece of ground. It was shaly. It was dry. And it was really dry that year. And my wife and I planted those potatoes and we watered and we hilled and we scratched around in the ground and turned the water on them and at the end, we dug them and got a bushel of potatoes. Uh, it would have been better just to eat them, I guess. But you know what? We still plant potatoes. We still, by faith, go out there and put things in the ground. A garden, a garden brings hope. A garden, there's something about working in a garden that is invigorating. Unless you're a little child and then your job is to pick potato bugs or something. It might not be so good. But I, you know what I mean. It is close. I like to remember the phrase close to a house signifi signifies to me the presence of God. Do we appreciate God's presence? And you know, a garden is a wonderful teaching tool for children. We put these seeds in the ground, God makes them grow. And this seed has to die. And you could go into it's a whole uh, lot of things that you can teach by that. If we want to go look at our gardens tonight, the first one is the Garden of Eden. Eden, the word Eden means pleasure or paradise, delight, enjoyment. It's also the region of Adam's home. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. I'd like to read a few verses there. Genesis chapter 1, it talks about creation. Genesis chapter 2 elaborates a little bit on what happened during creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. And the Lord God formed man out of, of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 yet. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became four heads. Notice how beautiful that garden must have been. 
And I'm sure it surpasses any big valley or Lancaster County gardens. It was a beautiful garden. It was a perfect place. God planted it. He did it right. And there was all manner of trees. Tree of life was there. And also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now let's drop down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Notice also, well, I'll just mention the next couple of verses. It says that the animals were brought to, to, to Adam, and God got Adam to name all the animals. And it says whatever he named them, that was their name. That's just amazing that God created Adam and then gave him that responsibility and said, you name him. Can you imagine that? Here comes whatever. Here comes a donkey. What are you going to name it? Here comes an elephant. Here comes a beetle. Here comes you name it. And whatever he, whatever he named him, that was the name. As I look at this passage concerning the Garden of Eden, I see a, a good garden. It was a good place. It was pleasant. It was nourishing. It was a good place to live. In fact, it was the most perfect place ever. I don't believe since there has ever been a nicer place. Some of you have beautiful views. Some of you have beautiful homes. But this was a beautiful place to live. But in this provision of God, where God had a relationship with man, He also gave a choice. Remember, there was one tree, the tree uh, that it was of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had the freedom to eat any but one. All the trees in the garden, I don't know how big, I would have loved to know how big this garden was. But it was plenty big enough that they could have eaten all their lives and never have to touch that, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a big garden, it was perfect. They had perfect communion with God. God gave Adam responsibility and trusted him with that. There's a relationship there. He had perfect communion with God. There was no shame. There was no sin. There was no evil. It was just a perfect place to live. It was a place where you would like to be and it was a place where you look forward to God coming in the cool of the day when you could meet with Him. And God gave Adam two commands. Take care of the garden and don't, uh, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave him a choice. He gave Adam a choice. And like I mentioned before, God brought the animals to Adam and he, he named them. There was a relationship, communication, and fellowship there. Let's look at man's choice. Go to chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Remember up to this point, and I don't know how long it was. One person told me it was the same day of the end of creation, and other people said, no, it was years later. I don't know how long it was that Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with their Creator. But a little bit later, chapter 3 happened. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? I'm going to stop there. I have a paper here. I can figure out how to open it. Can somebody tell me what you see there? I don't know how far back you can see. What do you see? No. Is that all you see? What do you see? Face in the paper. Yeah. Couldn't cover that up. See the word no, and you see a crease in the paper. Anything else? White sheet of paper. How much bigger is the white sheet of paper than the crease or the no? I understand. I'd have said the same thing. But you know, that's a little bit like Adam and Eve. They had the whole garden, and Adam said, Did you notice? Or, excuse me, the serpent said, Did you notice the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And she began to focus on, Eve began to focus on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent twisted what God said. Eve didn't clearly say what God said. At least we don't have recorded that he said you couldn't touch it, but you weren't supposed to eat of it. The serpent lied. And Eve spent some time looking. If she'd have concentrated on the good instead of trying to see what's she was missing. She wouldn't have had a problem. But she spent time looking. She started coveting or lusting. She had a desire for the forbidden. She was like, you know, the serpent told her, you know, God just don't want you to know something. God wants you, God wants to limit you. Well, she ate. She gave to Adam, and he wasn't strong enough to say no. He he ate as well. And immediately something happened. And they knew something happened. They knew immediately that it was not the same. It was not the same between them and it wasn't the same with God. This is a beautiful garden. This was holiness, no shame. There was no sin. It was a perfect place to live. And now all of a sudden there's shame. There's fear. Adam said... He was naked and he was afraid. How did you know that? 
How did you know? Did you do what you're not supposed to do? There was sorrow. Death. Hardship. Labor, pain, and toil. Not only was there, did they die spiritually, but God clothed them with skins because they weren't clothed sufficiently. And there was death. It was amazing. I, my wife and I went to the Creation Museum for our 25th wedding anniversary. And I enjoyed it. I'd like to go back again. But one of the things that stood out to me in that trip, in that tour, was how many of you have been there? I have a number of you. You go to creation. You see creation, and you see the serpent, and you come on around. And I don't know, it hit me like, <clears throat> like it never did before. There is an animal of some kind, a goat or a sheep or a bull or something, completely skinned. When I saw that, it hit me. Not only did the person die, but it caused death in creation. Because God took a skin and covered them. This is the place of life. This is the place of creation. This is the place of hope. This is the place of nourishment. And now there's death. And they were eventually banished from the garden. God provided a perfect paradise and man chose to disobey. The truth is, after communicating with the devil, they thought they knew better than God. Do you know when we disobey, that's what we're saying? God says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And we say, no, we know better than that. We want to go this way. <clears throat> I believe there were three deaths because of that. Spiritual death, separation from God. They experienced that right away. There was physical death. Even though Adam lived 900 years, guess what? He died. And eternal death. <clears throat> if we don't claim the provision God has made for us because of man's sin, we, have, we will experience eternal death. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. So here's the perfect place. Here's the place God's dream for mankind. And he puts man there. And now there's death. In the garden of God. There's death in the garden of Gethsemane. In the garden of life. Where it's supposed to be. Exciting. It's supposed to be hopeful. There was sorrow. And shame. But God provided a solution for that. He made a promise the same day. God is so merciful. He could have wiped the, the uh, human race off the planet. That very day. But he said. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise thy heel. And we understand that is a promise of something greater coming. He also, God made them leave so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and continue forever in that state. God is, God is so merciful in spite of man choosing to disobey. Now, don't just relegate this whole story to Adam and Eve. We've all received 
the sinful nature because of their sin. But we've all chosen to sin. Every one of us have taken forbidden fruit. Every one of us have lusted after the forbidden. We've taken the forbidden. And so I would like you to put your play, your life, your self into Adam and Eve's shoes. You sin against God. You see the hurt in His face. You feel the shame. You feel the friction between you and your fellow men. You want to hide. You don't want to see God. You don't want fellowship with God. You want to get away. And then He says, you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to go out. You're banished from the garden. Well, I'm glad the story of mankind doesn't end there or at the flood. Later on, there's another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an oil press, an olive garden. It is also a place of life, a place of fruit, a place of food. It is a place where Jesus liked to go with his disciples. And how many of you have visited there? Anybody visit the Garden of Gethsemane? No one did. Not maybe in a group this size. A couple of you. I would like to see that. I, I know it's probably not the same as it was then. But there was something special that Jesus liked to go there and fellowship with his father. He liked to go there with his disciples and pray together. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of God's presence. And it was also a place of decision. Let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. Beginning at verse 36. Matthew 26, 36. They have the, Jesus and his disciples have eaten the Last Supper. Jesus instituted the communion service. They have gone out. They come to Gethsemane, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto the place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and to begin to be very to be sorrowful and very heavy. Notice what he it talks about Jesus here. He was sorrowful and very heavy. Now these are his words in verse 38. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh to his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He comes out again. He finds them sleeping again. He said, come on, let's go. He said, uh, the one is at hand that does betray me. In this same garden, uh, Judas betrayed his Lord. Peter, he was going to take care of things and take, win the victory. He cut off a servant's ear and Jesus went and healed it back on him. 
Do you think that frustrated Peter? I'm trying to protect you. And now you go and heal the man. Well, it got so tense that it says that they all, verse 56, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Here stands Jesus with the Roman rulers, with the soldiers, and Judas. The events in the Garden of Eden required the events in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus could have gotten out of there. He could have. Judas knew where he was going to pray. He slipped away other times, but now the time was right and he gave himself. Man's choice resulted in God's touch. And it was a voluntary touch. God reached down to man. God reached down to us who rejected him, who walked away from him, who wanted to do our own thing. He still reached out to us. He was sorrowful and very heavy, very distressed. He fell on his face. That is a sign of complete surrender. He falls on his face before God. Doesn't tell us in here in this passage, but other passages will tell us that when he sweat, it was great drops of blood. He surrendered to God's will. First time he says, if it be possible, if there's any other way, I'm willing to take any other way. But, he says, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Second time he comes, if it can't be, if there's no other way, I'm willing to drink it. And the third time he said the same thing. While he was doing that, he didn't have any physical support. His disciples were sleeping. And we, we condemn them for that, but how often have you stayed awake praying for an hour at night, and then a second hour, and then a third hour. I'm sure there's some of you have done that. It seems like when there's an anguish, we're able to stay awake, and we're able to pray. <clears throat> there's Jesus alone. Jesus has to make a decision. The experience of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane was God's response to man's choice in the Garden of Eden. The experience of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane was God's response to man's choice in the Garden of Eden. He said, not my will, but thine be done. I think that was a pivotal moment in the history of mankind. All history looked forward from the day Adam and Eve sinned, looked forward to this moment. We all look backward to this moment. I know we weren't even born yet. But it depended on this moment. And I like to think of all humanity holding their breath. What's He going to do in the Garden of Gethsemane? Is He going to do the Father's will? He said, not my will, but thine be done. There's hope in the Garden because Jesus surrendered. To his father. The King James Study Bible says this In the awful anguish of that moment, the sin of the world was poured on Christ as he became sin for it, for us. Christ's decision in Gethsemane redeemed us from Eden. 
We have all experienced the curse brought on by man's actions in the Garden of Eden. And like I said, we chose to sin as well. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. As we look at Gethsemane, we see Jesus sorrowful and very heavy. Choosing God's will for my good. Don't detach Jesus out there in the Garden of Gethsemane apart from your experience. He was there for your good and for my good. He was there because we chose to sin. And it was God's will that He give His life. God, He was choosing God's will for my life. It's a quote I have. I don't know where I got it, but it says, Every man has his private Gethsemane and every man has to learn to say, Thy will be done. <clears throat> Philippians 3. Let's turn to it. I think we read part of it the other evening, but I'd like to read a couple of verses here. Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul writing here, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I want to be found in Him. Paul had a longing to be found in Christ. He was willing to reach out and be identified with the sufferings of Christ. He wanted to experience the power of the resurrection. But in order to do that, he had to experience the fellowship of his sufferings or he had to share in his sufferings. It must be personal. I must surrender to God by allowing Him access to every area of my life. All of us must choose. Christ did it for us. But just as we've been banished from the Garden of Eden, he now invites us to the Garden of Gethsemane. And He says that this is a place of decision. We must all say, Thy will be done, or I refuse to do the Father's will. What will you do with Jesus? Jesus was there, face down, saying, Your will be done. I am willing. I am willing to go all the way to the cross. I am willing to go before Pilate like we studied about today. I am willing to have my back beaten. I am willing to carry my cross. I am willing to bleed every drop of blood out of my body for the good of mankind. I am willing to do that. I choose to do that. He gives everything for the Father. I'd like to read the words to a song. And I find my, myself with these words. My heart is like a house. My heart is like a house. One day I let the Savior in. There were many rooms where we would visit now and then. 
But then one day I saw that door. I knew the day had come too soon. I said, Jesus, I'm not ready for us to visit in that room. There's a place in my heart where even I don't go. I have some things hidden there that I don't want no one to know. But he handed me the key with tears of love on his face. He said, I want to make you clean. Let me go in your secret place. So I opened up that door. And as the two of us walked in, I was so ashamed. His light revealed my hidden sin. But when I think about that room now, I'm not afraid anymore. Because I know my hidden sin no longer hides behind that door. There was a place in my heart where even I wouldn't go. I had some things hidden there I didn't want no one to know. But he handed me the key with tears of love on his face. He said, I want to make you clean. Let me go in your secret place. Is there a place in your heart where even you don't go? You have some things hidden there that you don't want no one to know. Now he's handed you the key with tears of love on his face. He says, I want to make you clean. Let me go in your secret place. Jesus gave everything. He opened up his life and gave everything so that you and I can be clean, can be washed, can be free from our sin. We must realize that we personally have chosen to disobey and we personally must choose to surrender. And if you think of mankind and our experience as mankind and we're in the garden and we do our own thing and then the sorrow and pain and remorse and shame that comes by doing our own thing, we come to the garden and we're trembling. We don't want to go there. We don't want to open up that room, that door of that room. We don't want to show our heart. It's ugly. We've chosen to disobey and we must choose to surrender if we're going to experience the last garden. It doesn't mention in the Bible this garden. I mean, it mentions it, but not doesn't name it. I call it the garden of God. It is paradise. It is the perfect place. It is a place of peace. It is restoration of creation. From the time of the fall, there has not been a place as beautiful as the Garden of Eden. But there's coming a place that's probably even more beautiful. It's restored. It's redeemed. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Beginning at verse 9. There's a vision that John saw. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. 
And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in in his temple. And he that sitteth on his throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb of God, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I realize it doesn't talk exactly about a garden, but that last verse tells us that there's, He's going to feed us, He's going to lead us to fountains of living water. Doesn't that sound like a garden? A beautiful place to be. And notice, the people that were there were so grateful because the Lamb was willing to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was willing to follow through. In this place there was no sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no guilt and shame. It was God's presence. You know, there's, there is so much suffering in the world today. It's because of sin. Some of the suffering is because of the sin that we've committed. And there are people who suffer because we sin and others have sinned. But we look forward to a place where there's no sin, no guilt, no shame, no sorrow, God's presence. There's food, fellowship, refreshment. There's peace. We're before the throne, day and night, praising Him. Let's go to chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like unto jasper stone, clear as crystal. Go to chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Pure river of life. Just since I'm here, I heard somebody talking about somewhere in Virginia, there's water that's very clear. You can see way down. You can see fish way down. Well, it's clear, but it's not this clear. Clear as crystal, the water. There's no pollution. The tree of life is there. Permanent, holy life. And it's there, it gives us fruit every month. It is for the healing of the nations. 
There's no curse. There's God's presence. Permanent possession. Notice what it says there. Um, verse 4, And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. That's permanent possession. When my son went to camp, Bald Eagle Boys Camp, every piece of clothes, every piece of anything he took had to have WK on it for Wayne King. It's his. No one else is supposed to take it. When we get to heaven, we're going to have his name here. We belong to him. Complete provision. Redemption, mercy, grace, reconciliation. <clears throat> It's just, when I look at the Garden of Eden and I see everything that was there, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, everything was perfect. What was perfect there? That they wouldn't have eaten, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have eaten. But when I see heaven, I get excited. Because it's going to be beyond what we can ever think. And there are people that have had gotten received glimpses of it. And they say the same thing. It's just beyond what we can think. And it's beautiful. We look forward to that time. But we must go to Gethsemane before we can go to the Garden of God. We must go there and make a choice for ourselves, a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we don't go to the Garden of Gethsemane, we will not only miss the Garden of God, but we will spend eternity with the devil and his angels in hell. It is a place prepared for Satan and his angels. It is a place where all the bad that ever was gets thrown in that pit. It is a place of death, of pain, of tears, of torture, of shame, of unquenchable fire. It's separation from God. You know how Adam and Eve felt whenever they couldn't have fellowship with God anymore and they were afraid. Well, multiply that so many more times is what the experience will be there. Let's look at chapter 20 of Revelation, verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whatsoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I work with a man at the hardware store who used to work at another hardware store. And there was a young man who worked there. And <coughs> he did not profess Christianity. And there was a discussion there one, one time at this other hardware store and they were discussing about what happens when you die. And this young man said, well, he'll get in under the radar. 
Well, it wasn't too awful long after that. It wasn't, yeah, I don't know if it was weeks or months, but it wasn't long after that. There was a terrible crash where three young people were in a pickup. And that pickup was torn to pieces and so were the young people and he was one of them. If he didn't make his peace with God, he didn't get it under the radar. If you're not found written in the book of life, if we didn't say in Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done, and accept what Christ did for us, we won't get in under the radar. We'll be cast into the lake of fire. Chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God provided a perfect place for man to be. Man rejected that place. He chose to do his own thing. God's response to that was the Garden of Gethsemane. He sent Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll do it. I surrender. He did that so we can have the freedom of choice to serve Him, to surrender to Him. And there are only, just like there are only two gods, there are only two roads, there are only two destinies. Some people choose the destiny and accept the road. And that's what we were singing in that last song that we sung. We want the destiny and we're willing to accept the road. Some people choose the road and accept the destiny. What will you do? Well, let's look at these gardens briefly again. The Garden of Eden. Created perfect by God. Man chose to disobey. And again, we've all been there. The choice to disobey was our choice. We came to the fall of nature. But the choice to sin was ours. We have the Garden of Gethsemane, which is God's response to man's choice. Jesus chose to surrender. <coughs> and if we expect to be in the Garden of God, we must do the same. The Garden of God is perfect paradise. It is for those who surrender to God's provision. There is only... There's only two choices, only two destinies. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. Verses 1 and 2. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now down to verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. You think this life is tough? But if we walk with our hand in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're gonna, we have rest now, even if we're going through those times, but we're going to have perfect rest when we get there. And if we choose to disobey, choose to not choose, then we will not have rest. We cannot endure, we cannot enjoy the Garden of God unless we go through the Garden of Gethsemane. I'd like to read another song, the words to another song, Had It Not Been. 
Just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed to buy eternal life for you and me. I'm so glad he was willing to drink this bitter cup, although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he never called heaven's angels from those hands pull the nails for you and me. Oh, had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. Where are you tonight? We've all been in Eden. We've all been cast out of Eden because we have chosen to sin. Some have come to Gethsemane and have surrendered their lives to Christ. And they're on their way to the garden of God. Some are waiting in Gethsemane. They haven't made their choice. They don't want to surrender. So where are you? Driven out of Eden? Waiting in Gethsemane? Or on the way to the garden of God? Christ is coming soon. We are closer than we've ever been before. I can remember as a little boy. I used to tremble when evangelists would say that. I hated to even think of tomorrow. Because I wasn't right with God. Now we're here, we're here we are 30, 40, 35 years later. All I'm saying is we're closer than we were then. Plus none of us are assured that we'll get home tonight. But you know, we don't have to live in fear because if we're ready to go at any time, if we've made our choice, if we're on the way to the garden of God, we'll just hurry up and get there. But if we're waiting around in Gethsemane and don't want to make a choice and if we refuse to surrender, we can't expect to enjoy the pleasures of the garden of God. <clears throat> Where are you this evening? Have you made your choice? Let's bow our heads for prayer.